Um, but it's quite a full house, which I'm excited about. It really is. Um, it's an exciting time. Um, yeah, so just, I think you can put this, uh, the title slide up. Something went wrong with the design, so it's very dark and gloomy. But we are speaking about spiritual warfare tonight, so it, it, makes, it makes sense, actually. Uh, but just let me introduce myself, because there are a bunch of faces that I've sort of seen. Um, some of you I've, I haven't really met, and there's a couple of faces who I haven't met. My name is Leonard. Just so it's not a random guy speaking, that is my name. And I'm one of the elders here, alongside with Godfrey. Mac was here in the first service. His wife Nodine is sitting here at the back, or there at the back. Um, it really is a privilege to be here, so just so you at least know who's speaking to you. But if you're new here, you wouldn't know, but for the past couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And I must say, this has been, this is my fourth week preaching four times a week. So it's feed off 12, six, it's will be 16 times preaching in four weeks, which is quite a lot. It's been quite a lot, but I've enjoyed it. Um, but this, this will be our second last message in the Ephesians series that we're doing. And next week, I can't wait for Mac and Odin to speak about Ephesians 5 specifically. That's, um, that's about uh, husbands and wives, and then also about Christ and the church. So they're going to do Ephesians 5 next week, and I'm going to jump one chapter ahead, and tonight we're going to speak about Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. So if you've got your Bible here, we've um, been asking people to try and bring their physical hard copy Bibles. Uh, you can open it up to Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. If you don't have a Bible here, that's okay. Can I make the joke of last time? You can go sit next to a Christian if you don't have a Bible here. <laughs> still getting a few laughs, so it feels like I can do it at least one more time than joke. <laughs> anyway, Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 20, we're going to get there in a moment. And I'm going to specifically speak about the first three to four verses tonight. The last six verses I'm not going to read, but I'm going to mention what it says. And I want to encourage you, that is the heart of this series, that you would, when you go home, that you would open up your Bible, open up the book of Ephesians, read through it. If you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, maybe even go listen to the messages uh, that we've preached. Get into the Word and get into Ephesians 6 at home as well. But what Paul is getting into the book here is he's specifically going to speak about a topic that many people in the body of Christ are really confused about. And it's this topic of spiritual warfare. Now, if I had to do a quick question round here and I had to ask a bunch of you what you would think spiritual warfare is... I, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to get a bunch of different answers. Many of you would say, never, never heard of it. I have no idea what it means. Some of you would say it's when we blow the shofar, and that's spiritual warfare. Some of you think it's when we go stand on a mountain and we pray over the town, that's spiritual warfare. Some would say it's when we drive out demons, that's spiritual warfare. And I want to say maybe it's a mixture of them and maybe it's none of them. But, but we actually, what we want to do is we want to let the Bible define our terminology. So when we speak about spiritual warfare, it can very quickly be the spooky thing that we speak about. And, it's, and, and, and you think, what the heck? It just sounds weird and strange. And it's like only the charismatics speak about those things. And they're weird. And, and I don't want it to be that spooky thing. I want us to look at the Bible, to look at Ephesians 6 tonight, and to let the Bible define for us what God means when He speaks through Paul about this mysterious topic called spiritual warfare. But I'm going to firstly tell you a quick story Two quick stories out of my life, just to give you a bit of context for who it is that's standing here in front of you tonight. So, when I got saved, I, I've always been quite a pragmatic thinker, meaning I like step one, two, three to get to the solution. 
I, I like that. I enjoy logical thinking. I enjoy it when I can understand something and when I can see it and, and, and when it makes sense to me. That I enjoy. That's always been my personality. So when I got saved, I got saved into quite a conservative church. Um, there's a lot of them in South Africa. In the first service, I accidentally mentioned the name. But I got saved into a conservative church. And for that first part of my Christianity, I wasn't really exposed so much to the things of the Spirit. And to be brutally honest, I was okay with it. It was enough of a stretch for me getting to stick my hand up in worship. I felt like everyone was looking at me and like... Like, it was just the world would come to a standstill every time I try and lift my hands. Even that was a stretch for me. And then in my first year, I actually, I got saved when I was 17 years old, 2007. It's a long time ago. Yes, I'm old-ish. Old was most of you, not so old for some of you. But I got saved in 2007. And then in 2009, I came to the Western Cape. Lived in Joburg before that. Boxburg, to be more specific. So I'm... It's almost the Boxburg is almost out of me. My wife reminds me now and then. She's like, we just need to get the last Boxburg out of you. But it's almost out. Um, but I came to, to the Western Cape, to Wellington, and I started studying theology. And the church that I was part of there, listen, if, if some of you think that we're quite a charismatic church, and this is like uncomfortable, these people are jumping up and down and doing those things, that was a very charismatic church. So there was a lot of like hands in the air and shaking and people falling on the floor and just like a lot of prophetic words and, and all of those things, to be brutally honest, was very uncomfortable for me. And I think if I had to ask you, then some of you would say, those things are just weird to me. I'm just not that type of Christian. I don't like those type of things. And, and I know some of you feel like that because I felt like that for a long time. And for the first couple of months, I would be in worship and I would just struggle when people around me are doing all their weird things i would think that's you and i'm me good for you but i'm not doing any of those weird things that's how i felt about it and at one stage during worship you know how the the voice of god works we can make that a mysterious thing as well and, and it's not like a voice out of heaven it's just it's almost like a whisper in your heart it's almost like something that drops into your thoughts and into your heart that you can't really explain and put into words and as I was worshipping, it's just like I experienced God leading me to close my eyes. And I closed my eyes, and for the first time in a couple of months, as I had my eyes closed, I realized, okay, wait, I'm, I'm not looking at the people around me. I'm not so focused on what they're doing and feeling like they're faking it or anything like that. I'm just here to worship God and focus on God. And there was such a freedom that came over me that I really started pressing into the, to the presence of God and like put my hands up and I, I was just not focused on the people around me. I, I thought this is between me and God now. And as I started doing that and started being less concerned about what other people are doing and just what I see in the Bible and how I want to express my worship to God, as I started doing that, I started experiencing the presence of God more and more in my life. And as a Christian, you should experience the presence of God. Maybe not every time, maybe not every time, but every now and then you should be able to experience the presence of God because he, He's not just a story that we read about. He lives and He's here with us today. The Holy Spirit is with us. And I started experiencing Him more and more as we worshipped. And I remember one time standing worshipping and it was the most that I've ever experienced the presence of God in my life. It was just as God was teaching me that it's not always just about the things that you see, but there's actually a spiritual realm. There's more happening. There's the presence of God. And initially, where I wasn't open to those things, I started experiencing it more and more. And I remember 
standing with my hands in the air. And as I was worshipping, this was like those things that I thought people were faking. I started experiencing the presence of God to such an extent that I felt like I had to go lay down flat on the floor. And as I was on the floor, I, I felt like if I could go lower than the floor, I would go lower because I just want to be so low before God. It was like I experienced His holiness, His love, His presence. God was in the room. And I felt like if God was going to come one step closer, I would die. I would explode. That's how I felt. Like the love of God was just so overwhelming in that moment. I started crying. It was literally wet on the floor around where I was crying. Just had such an experience of the, of the presence of God. And then something weird happened that for a long time, I didn't believe that these things happened. And I know that some of you are going to think this is a weird church now and whatever. <laughs> just don't care. But I, I actually started feeling like my hands closed. And I couldn't open my hands. And it was like electricity running through my body. It's weird. I'd like To this day, I'm like, I know it's weird. <laughs> but I couldn't open my hands. And I just, but, but it wasn't like I was freaked out. I was just so in awe of God at that moment. So in love with Him. And I remember feeling like I want to open my hands and I couldn't. And I, I made a mental note there and I said, I said to myself, Leonard, never forget this moment. Never forget it. You're trying to open your hands, you can't. You're trying to stand up, you can't because the presence of God is here. I just lost control, sobbing. And I remember telling myself, never ever forget this moment. God is real. God is real. His love is real. His presence is real. His Holy Spirit is real. God is real. The spiritual realm is real. Whether it makes sense to you or not, I just, I just had this mental note, never ever forget this. You're gonna have, I, I remember telling myself, you're going to have times when you doubt God, don't doubt God. This is real. And as I, um, the, it was so funny actually, the, the preacher wanted to actually stand up and start preaching, but I was in France, we had this culture, we can't have it now with the chairs, but in Josh Chain, normally, we sort of, when it's worship, everyone comes to the front and we worship together. It's something we normally do, but now we've got these stupid wood things that's in our way. But anyway, I was in front worshiping and the guy wanted to start preaching, but I physically couldn't get up. So he had to start preaching, like step over me as he preaches and then come this way and step over me. It was just, it was just like God was really there. And um, as I stood up later, eventually the guy was busy preaching and I stood up. Someone put a scripture next to me and the scripture spoke about the fact that god doesn't want me to do things in my own strength and i realized that's why my hands were closed god wanted to show me like it's not with your hands you need to learn and like god did a supernatural work in me why did i have to lay down i don't know but surgeons let their patients lie down so <laughs> maybe that's why god wanted to put me down because he wanted to do a deep work in my heart guys the spiritual realm is real it's real it exists we live in such a naturalistic, materialistic, logical, Western society. We, do, we don't like speaking about these things. We don't like thinking about these things. We think only that which is tangible is real, and that is not the truth. It's not the truth. There's a spiritual realm. There's a good spiritual realm. There's God working. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. He's here as we're gathering. You can't see it now, but God is here. He's here. Think about that. God is here. The one who made the universe, the one who holds the stars in place, the one who created you, the one who gives you salvation, that God is here tonight. He's here. His Holy Spirit is here. He says that there are angels here tonight. We can't see it. And many times we shrug it off as like, nah, those are just stories. We just read it in the Bible. No. 
there are angels here tonight. There are angels here. There's the good, but then there's also the bad. There's the bad spiritual realm. There are demons. Satan is not just a story. He's not a figment of people's imaginations. He really exists. He was, a, he was an angel in heaven, and he was cast out because of him trying to be like God. And him and a bunch of angels were cast out, and they became demons. And those things really exist. And I'm not saying that because this is a charismatic church. I'm saying that because the Bible says it. The Bible says it. I'll tell you a quick um, encounter that I had um, long ago. I, I've told some of these stories before, but like the first time I encountered someone that had a demonic manifestation where for some reason a demon was in or on or wherever, a demon was controlling a person. They opened up massive doors in their lives. In this case, it was unforgiveness that I really want to tell you. The Bible says God will not forgive you if you don't forgive. You won't. You open up a door if you have unforgiveness in your life unforgiveness and hate and he did a bunch of things and and in a time of worship satan cannot handle the presence of god demons cannot handle the presence of god and so we were worshiping and as we were worshiping this guy just started shouting but you could hear there's like a holy spirit shout and there's a, like a something else spirit shout <laughs> and that was a something else spirit shout you could just hear something was not right and uh we went with this guy, we took him out, and, and he was struggling, he strained, he was like quite strong actually. When he looked at you, you could see something's not right here. When he spoke, I knew the guy, I spoke to him before, and it wasn't the same guy speaking. It was strange, it freaked me out. But we went outside, we prayed for him, we came in the name of Jesus, and we said, we're coming in the power of Jesus, and whatever is holding him here, and, and this demon was speaking through him, and he said, whatever is holding this person, we command you to come out in the name of Jesus, and and at one stage, he kept looking at the roof of the place that we were worshipping. We were probably three, four hundred people in a hall worshipping. And he kept looking at the roof. And I asked him, Byron, what are you looking at? And he said, there's fire. There's fire on the roof. And, and, he, he, and I said, what do you mean? He said, no, there are angels and fire over, this, over the hall where we were worshipping. And so for that moment, he could see what was actually going on, which, which we couldn't see. And we prayed for him. And afterwards... You could literally see that there was a sense of relief coming over him. He felt free um, and he could serve God freely. Those demons left him as we prayed for him. Not because we were special, but because God is in control and God is the ultimate one that wins the spiritual battle. Now, does it freak me out? Not anymore. <laughs> did it? Hallelujah, it did. <laughs> Who's honest and, and, and thinks that some of these things, it's a bit strange for you. It's out of your comfort zone. Just raise your hand. I just want to see it's out of your comfort zone. Okay. Listen, there's grace for you. There's grace. It was out of my comfort zone too. But if you are going to be someone that says, I only serve God on my terms. Listen, you're not going to experience what God has for you in this life. You're going to come to church. You're going to worship. You're going to go through the motions. But if you don't realize there are bigger forces at play, there's a spiritual realm. There's a real God. And there's real demons trying to pull you away from God. And you really need to give yourself to God. You're going to miss out. There's more than meets the eye. There really is. C.S. Lewis, he's a, he was an amazing man. Do you have that quote for me, please? C.S. Lewis said the following, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, meaning humans, can fall about demons. One is to disbelieve the existence. The other is to believe and to feel excessive or unhealthy interest in them. Demons are equally pleased by both errors. So what C.S. Lewis was saying is, humanity normally falls into two camps. There are those that 
think, and I think many human beings, many of us today, we feel like, I don't want to think about Satan. I don't want to think about demons because that's not where my focus should be. And I don't want to have an excessive interest in those things because it's weird and it freaks me out. Granted, it's dangerous. You are firstly and primarily a servant of God, not an enemy of the devil. You firstly belong to God. So your main focus should be on God, not on demons, not on the devil, none of those things. So that is dangerous. But equally as dangerous, C.S. Lewis says, is if you just shrug it off and don't think about it at all. And think that all that happens in my life is all natural. Listen, I think most sickness is just because we're human beings. And this body, this temple is going to die one day. But I don't think all sickness is only physical. I think some of the thoughts that pop into my head are just because I've been exposed to sin in the past. But I don't think all thoughts that pop into my head are just natural things that happened. I think some people who really struggle to get, to get rid of sin, maybe it's just because of bad habits that they form. But I don't think all of it is all the time just bad habits. You can't ignore the fact that there is a spiritual realm, that there are bigger things at play. We can't ignore it. There's more. He actually goes on, C.S. Lewis, I didn't put it up there. He says that demons are equally pleased with magicians and materialists. Doesn't care. You want to be really spooky? He likes that because he's going to get you there. You want to like think nothing of the spooky and only think materialistic? He's going to get you there. Because he's going to go for you and you're never going to realize that actually there is something greater working behind the scenes. So Paul speaks in Ephesians 6. He comes to this church called Ephesus. And he wants to teach them about spiritual warfare. He, he knows that the spiritual realm is in existence and he wants to teach us. He wants to eliminate the spooky and the weird and he's going to put down for us what it really is. So we're going to read in Ephesians 6 verse 10. And Paul starts and he says, finally, meaning he's finally done with this letter to the Ephesians. He's getting to the end of it. Or like some of you think, finally, Leonard is almost done preaching about Ephesians. It's almost done. It's almost done. He says finally. So he's coming into the last part and he wants to end, end it by preaching about spiritual warfare. Remember, we still have one sermon left. We're going to jump back in the book next week. It says finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul starts, before he starts about speaking about anything demonic, because he's going to mention the fact that there are these greater things at, at play. Before he says anything, he says, be strong in the strength of the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul starts off by saying, if you ever come against anything spiritual, any spiritual forces, evil spiritual forces, the place to start is never in your own strength. It's always in the strength of the Lord. In fact, the, the last two words that he uses these, it's the words in of his might, speaking about God's might. And he uses those exact two words, if you look in the original language, in Ephesians 1 verse 19, where he speaks about the power that was present to raise Jesus from the grave. Jesus was dead, and God by his power made him alive again and took him to heaven. That power is the power Paul is speaking about here. And in Isaiah 40 verse 26, there's a, there's a verse that says that God's power holds the universe in place. It holds the stars. It makes everything function. The power of God. Imagine that power. God is powerful. Now Paul is saying, finally, be strong in that power. He says, before you try and come to these things, remember that you are God's. And He is in control. You cannot try and do this in your own strength. 
Listen, if you realize tonight that, hey, maybe, maybe there are actually demonic forces making it difficult for me to serve God. If you try and fight it in your own strength, you are not going to succeed. But we come behind God. And when we come behind God, we don't have to be scared. It's not a weird thing. It's not a freaky thing. I'm telling you, when you um, come in contact with the demonic in any way, whether it's subtle by thought or whether it's blatant by someone manifesting, which in fact we should see more of in church. I want to see more of that in church because when the presence of God is there, demons can't stay. I want to see more of that. However you come in contact with it, it really doesn't matter as long as you know that I can't deal with this on my own. I can't always in my naturalistic self deal with all of my issues. Some issues are spiritual and they need to be fought on a spiritual level and God is spirit and therefore I come behind God. I tuck in behind God. I want to read you a funny story um, in, in the book of Acts 19. This is actually such a, it's an interesting one because um, <laughs> this is, it, it happened in the town of Ephesus. So the Ephesian church would have known about the situation. They would have, the story would have gone around that this happened. And this is a, a bunch of people who try to fight against the spiritual darkness, dark forces on their own. Okay, so listen to this. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, meaning they were Jewish ghostbusters, basically. They like the ghostbusters. <laughs> These Jewish ghostbusters undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So meaning they don't know Jesus. They're not in relationship with Jesus. They're not hiding behind God. They're coming in their own strength. Like Paul knows this person. I don't, but I'm... I'm Anyway, so they're trying to do it on their own. Seven sons of Sceva, oh, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Listen, the evil spirit spoke. It's in the Bible. Jesus I know. Wait. Jesus I know. <laughs> and Paul I recognize. <laughs> but who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded and this was known uh, to all the residents of ephesus both jews and greek and fear fell upon all them all of them and the name of the lord jesus was extolled so here's a bunch of people that thinks they can exercise authority over the demonic in their own strength in their own power and what happens is they get beat up and they run away naked Okay, one person beat up seven of them. Like there's strength, like demons in the spiritual realm. It's like there's a bit of strength to it. Like something supernatural is at play here. Something, something to it. And because they try and do it in their own, they get their butt kicked. Basically, is butt okay to say in church? I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But they get the the buns kicked. I can say buns. Okay, they get their buns kicked. And so when you think of the blatant or the less blatant things where Satan might be attacking you, come on guys, don't try and do it in your own strength. Realize that God is powerful. He holds the stars in place and he is fighting on your behalf. Remember a funny story, the, the first time that I, was, um, that I saw a demon manifesting in someone, I've, I told this story I think last week or the week before. It was so funny because... That one of my friends, we didn't know what to do. One of my friends took the Bible. I don't know if there's a small Bible here somewhere. 
He took the Bible, I told this last week, and he was just so frustrated. They wanted to get this demon out because this was the small boy, also strong. He was shouting. My friend went, come out in the name of Jesus. He pressed the Bible against the guy's chest, and the guy went, <laughs> It was so funny. And like, and then I was like, okay, cool. I also want to get into the action here. Yeah. I'm also going to, I'm going to chase this demon away. So I go to the demon. Sorry for the Afrikaans now. I go to him. I, I said, hey, Chuma, you know, eight call. <laughs> and my friends afterwards, they said to me, did you just call that demon Chuma? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's not your trauma. <laughs> it's not your trauma. <laughs> You're trying to do it in your own strength and not realizing why do I have to do it in my own strength? I've got a God that is much bigger than the devil. The devil is powerful, but God is all powerful. The devil is somewhere, God is everywhere. Like the devil isn't everywhere, he's not like God, he's different. God created the devil, created him an angel first. And then out of his rebellion, he became the devil. But God created him. He's a creator being. God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything. And the devil just knows something. Doesn't know everything. God is much bigger. So you don't have to fear. Don't fear. I know this is a message that probably doesn't get preached a lot. It's probably outside of your comfort zone. But as long as you know, Paul is starting by saying, come in the strength of the Lord, meaning don't fear. God is bigger. He's already conquered Satan. He's conquered demons. Okay, you don't have to be scared. Right. Then Paul goes on in Ephesians 6 verse 11. He says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. When he speaks about the armor of God, they knew, again, exactly what he was speaking about. Because the soldiers that were around them, they wore specific um, garments that was the armor that they used to fight with, the Roman soldiers. And so we're going to speak about that a bit later, but he specifically says, put on this armor of God. But then he does something interesting. He doesn't say, fight against the devil. He says, stand against the devil. I'm going to say that again. He doesn't say, fight against the devil. He says, stand against the devil. Now, many Christians today, we think that we need to be like demon hunters. We want to find a demon behind every bush. And when someone says a swear word, we think they have the demon of swearing. And we like, I'm going to cast that demon out of you right now. You're never going to swear again. Listen, that's not how it works. There's not a demon behind every bush. There's not a demon in every person. It's, it's not always like that. Some things are just there. Why was I saying that? <laughs> oh, he says, so he's not, he's not saying run around and look for the demons everywhere and look for the demons in yourself, which is a trap that we can so easily fall into. He's not saying that. He's saying there are spiritual forces. There are evil spiritual forces. They are going to try and attack you. And when they try and attack you, whether through your thoughts or sickness or whatever, learn to stand. doesn't say fight. He says stand. And, then it, so, and he uses that word stand or variance of it four times in verse 11, verse 13 twice, and verse 14. So Paul wants to get the point across. I'm not telling you to march against the devil, not telling you to run away from the devil. I'm telling you to stand against the devil because you stand in the strength of God. You can stand. Listen, let me empower you. You can stand against the devil and his work. Uh, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 to 9 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him it's the same thing you resist you stand firm in your faith 
Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, every single one of you will have some form of demonic attack somewhere in your life. It might, might not be someone grabbing you by the neck, it could be a thought. It could be something that you're just really struggling to shake off, and it's just unnaturally so. The Bible says, resist the devil, stand firm in your faith. You have God behind you. And then verse 12, Ephesians 6 verse 12, Paul goes on and he explains that, um, that we put on this armor of God because there are these spiritual forces we, we have spoken about. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, this is a really difficult one because... You know, people and Christians, we do the pendulum. We go from one extreme to the other. So we think all sickness is demonic. No sickness is demonic. Okay? All thoughts are demonic. All bad thoughts are demonic. Okay, no thoughts are, demad- are, are demonic. Right? All sin is demonic. No sin is demonic. We do the swing thing. As, and Paul is saying here, actually, when we struggle against things, our struggle shouldn't be against flesh and blood, but... So, so here's the thing. Some sickness is just sickness, as I said, because you are going to pass away. This is a temporal thing. You, you're going to get sick. Some of you are going to get COVID. Okay? Unless you get that thing, but you're still going to get it. <laughs> you're still going to get it. Some of you are going to get uh, whatever sickness. Some of you are going to die young. Some of us might. We always think we're going to live forever, but this is a temporal body. It's, it's just a tent. It's not supposed to last forever. It's going to get sick. It's what happens. But sometimes there's sickness that's just demonic. We, we, there's a spiritual thing at play that wants to make you sick, right? And so we, don't, we shouldn't do this whole pendulum thing, but we should realize when I face anything, if a lot of what's happening in this life is actually spiritual and I need to fight it on a spiritual level. Listen, you can get sick, that's fine. I'm not saying we should always, everyone should always get healed. And you can take your pills when you get sick, that's fine as well. But are you at least praying about it too? And I'm feeling convicted about this. And when I have thoughts or when I struggle with sin, do I just try and cut out all of the things? Do I just try and do the the physical things that I can sort out? Or do I realize that where Paul says it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the ruler principalities, that some of the fight is spiritual as well. Do we pray? Do we bring it before the Lord? Do we ask others to pray over us and say, break these things? Please come stand with me. I want to fight it on a spiritual level as well. Because prayer is spiritual. And we can shift the heavenlies with our prayer. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. And again, Paul is saying, there's this stuff and I want you to stand firm. Now what I'm going to do is, I'm not going to read the next few verses, but I'm going to give you a summary of what Paul says here. He says, the way that you stand firm is by putting on these symbolic pieces of armor. Now, these pieces of armor, some Christians do this. You pray in the morning, Jesus, I'm putting on the shoes of the readiness for the gospel. (laughs) Putting out on the the belts of truth. The helmets of salvation, God. And the breastplate of righteousness. 
wife, will you quickly tie the breastplate of righteousness here behind me? And we, we do that, and that's not the point of it. Paul is not saying this is a prayer to imitate, and then, and, and then everything will be okay with you. It's not a magic formula. It's not what it is. Paul is trying to teach us ways in which we should stand, and he's using images to help us understand why it's important. You might, does that make sense? Okay. So you can pray the prayer if it's going to help you remember, but it's not primarily a magic potion or magic formula. So it goes like this. I'm going to go through all six of them and what I believe it says. Firstly, Paul says, you have to put on the belt of truth. Now, if, if I have something that's going to protect me, it means, that I, it means that I need protection. If you, just because it's something that's on all of our minds, you, don't get, you get a vaccine because there's a sickness. The sickness comes first and then comes the vaccine. Not the vaccine, well, some people believe it's the other way around. So that's story, maybe not the best example. But the vaccine doesn't come first and then the sickness, right? Let's not use COVID, let's use some other sickness, smallpox or something, okay? The sickness is first. The same way there's an attack and therefore you need something to protect against the attack. So if Paul is saying put on the belt of truth, it means that Satan is going to try and attack you with... Come on. <laughs> lies. Alright? Lies. Because he's saying stand firm in the truth, there will be lies. So Satan is going to lie to you. He's going to lie to you in your thoughts. He's going to lie to you through people. He's going to lie to you because he wants you, he hates you, he wants to deceive you, he doesn't want you to be a Christian till the day that you die. His objective is to get you away from Christianity, to get you away from God. He's going to lie to you like this. Is God really real? Did I really get saved? It's going to attack the truth. Is this church thing real? Are these people around me fake? Right? Does that person really love God? Do I really love God? It's going to attack the truth. Did Jesus really live or is it just a story? It's going to put those things in your mind and, and I know how we are. We like... We think that if I say this, some atheist would listen to me and think, oh man, you're just trying to get people to be sheep and not think for themselves and just cover all, over all of those things. Listen, I'm not saying that we can't use our minds. I'm not saying it. And doubt is going to probably come to every single Christian. At some point in your life, you are going to doubt God. You may be even going to doubt the existence of God. I've been there. I've doubted the existence of God. I've been there. And I'm not saying that we can't apply our minds to it because I think... God actually makes sense. And Jesus makes sense. He really lived. You can study it. There's, there's that logical aspect of it. But I've made a decision in my mind that when doubt comes, firstly, I'm going to decide to stand. I've decided that I will follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I've decided that when doubt comes, I'm not going to let it in. Firstly, I'm going to decide I believe the truth. Then maybe I'll apply my mind. I'm not going to apply my mind to seek truth. Because we lived in a postmodern society where truth is so flexible and fluid and relevant, and it's just like what you believe. But actually, God is truth. Jesus is truth. You need to make a decision. And when the attack comes, you need to say, I'm ready. I've got this belt of truth. It holds me up. Okay. Make sense? With me? Amen, Leonard. Come on. Okay. Secondly, Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The second area where the devil is going to try and attack you is he's going to try and attack your righteousness. Righteousness is your right standing with God. 
He's going to try and let you think that you are not in right standing with God. The Bible says that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to accuse you. He's going to say something like this. You didn't pray last night. <laughs> You're not good enough. Now you want to come and worship God. But you haven't prayed. Huh? Oh, now you want to pick up your Bible and read. But you haven't been reading your Bible for the last month. And now you think you want to read. Okay? Oh, you want to lift up your hands and worship. Hmm. I know what you did last week. It's going to attack your righteousness. It's going to put things in your mind where you think you're not good enough to come before God. Listen to me. I can tell you the best news ever. You are not good enough. You're not good enough. You don't read enough Bible. You don't pray enough. Probably none of us do. Okay? You don't. But your righteousness isn't found in your deeds. Your righteousness is found in Christ. When you became a Christian, the Bible says He placed you, God placed you in Christ. That's where you find your righteousness. And from there, I live out my Christianity. Not to earn righteousness, but because I have righteousness. Okay? I don't read Bible to be right standing with God. I read Bible because I want to get to know God better. I don't pray because I think that's going to tick the box. No. I pray because I want to move the heart of God. Okay. Your righteousness, your breastplate, hide behind it. If the devil says to you, you're not good enough, say, hallelujah, I agree with you. I'm not good enough, but I come by the blood of Jesus. He died on the cross for me. That's why I come. Then Paul says, put on the shoes of the readiness to preach the gospel. And this is similar. The devil will make you feel a lot like you are not worthy to tell someone else of God. You're not close enough to God now to be able to tell someone else about God. You're still struggling with sin too much. You can't tell someone else about God. But no, the Bible says, because I've got salvation, right? I've got the truth. I know the truth about Jesus. Because I've got righteousness in Him, I should always be ready to tell other people what God has done in me. You do not need eloquent words. The devil will make you think you've not got the right words. The devil will make you think that person doesn't want to listen to you. All of these things are going to come. These insecurities are going to come. Listen to me. Fight against the devil. Stand firm against the devil and say, no, but I've got the shoes of the readiness to proclaim the gospel. I'm ready. I'm always ready. You should always be ready. Always. If someone asks you, you should be able to tell them what God has done in you. It doesn't have to be complicated. All you say is, I once didn't know him. He changed me. Now I know him. How difficult is that? We should always be ready. Then Paul goes on to number four. He says, you have to hide behind the shield of faith. Now, the Roman soldiers, these shields were not like these little things or Captain America's shield like that's this big about. It wasn't that big. It was as big as a door. So it's a massive shield that they actually hid behind, right? And it's specifically called the shield of faith. So when the devil attacks you, when he shoots arrows at you, you stand by faith. Faith is the things that you don't see, right? It's, it's the belief in the things that you don't see. So I'm not fighting him just on the basis of that which I understand, that which I see. I fight him by faith. I fight him by saying, I don't see the solution yet, but I believe God is the solution yet. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but God knows. That's faith. I don't feel like I can get out, but I've got faith in a God that, that can get me out. Right. Stand behind the faith and the character of God. 
When he attacks you, you say, I hide behind the goodness of God. I've got faith that God is good. All right. Number five, he says that we should put on the helmet of salvation. Okay. And this salvation for me, the way that I understand it is, I will always have salvation when trials and temptations come my way. Always. This is not just speaking about when you got saved. It means that you will, you will have salvation. You will have You'll be saved. Okay. So, if anything comes on my line, across my life, if the devil attacks me in any way, you know what? I can always say it doesn't matter. God will save me. He will save me. And if it's sickness. You know what I'm going to pray? I'm going to pray, God, please come save me here because I know you can save me. And even if you don't save me, Lord, when I stand in heaven, I will be saved. Even if the sickness takes me, I'll ask you that it doesn't take me, even if it's the devil attacking me. But even if it takes me, God, thank you that ultimately I will be free from sickness because I'll be with you. Even if I don't see it in this life. Those, not many of you know Will Murray necessarily, but he's one of the older leaders in Josh Cheng. How old is Will Nodin? 60? Almost 70 years old. We call him the silver bullet. He's an amazing guy. He's got white, white hair. Um, he's really an amazing guy. Loves the Lord. Planted many churches. A couple of months ago, Will found out that he's got um, cancer. Fought against it. Prayed against it. He's been in ministry his entire life. And then recently, he got a prognosis saying that he's, he's got, I think, maximum a year? Six months. Maximum six months left to live. They can't do anything for him. They can't take the cancer away. And the way that Will is approaching it, he's saying, I believe that my God can extend my life. But even if he doesn't, I will be with him in six months' time. Even if he doesn't, I will be with my God. Ultimately, God will save me because he is in control. Can we fight like that? We've got nothing to lose because we've got heaven to gain. Got nothing to lose in this life. Helmets of salvation. Finally, the only one that has a connotation of fighting, but I think it's self-defense here, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The only way that we actually fight back, the rest is standing. The only way which we fight back, if an attack comes our way, is by fighting with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus had temptation in the wilderness, John 4, if I'm not mistaken. Satan tempted Jesus. The way that Jesus fought was by quoting the Bible. And that is the way that we should fight. When you struggle, when your righteousness is being attacked, when the truth is being attacked, when, when your readiness to proclaim the gospel is being attacked, the way that you fight it is by Scripture. And we don't get into the Bible enough. We don't know the Bible well enough. But we should learn to fight with Scripture. I'll tell you how I do it in my life or try and do it. I don't always feel like God loves me. That might seem like a shock because he's the pastor. <laughs> How can you not always feel like God loves him? Like, just some days I feel like God loves me, some days I don't feel like God loves me. Anyone that can relate to that? Some honest people in here. I don't always feel like God loves me. But when I feel like that, and I want to go to God, and I feel like, but I don't know if, I just don't feel like God loves me, He loves other people, but I don't experience Him enough, I don't know if God loves me. Whenever I feel like that, I fight with the Bible, I say, God, I, I can come to you because in Romans, you don't have to know the reference. Jesus didn't even quote the reference, right? He just said what it says. So I'm not even going to say what it is. I, I can say, God, thank you that your Bible says to me 
that I know that you love me because you died for me on the cross. Romans 5, 8. Thank you, God. Therefore, I know that you love me whether I feel like it or not. I'm fighting with the Bible. That's why we need to know the Bible. Or when I want to come to God in prayer and the enemy accuses me and says, I'm not good enough, you can't come before God. Then I quote Hebrews and I say, God, thank you so much that you, when you were on earth, you weren't tempted in all points as, as I am, yet without sin. Therefore, God, I don't have a God that is unable to sympathize. Lord, you sympathize with my weakness. You know that it's difficult for me. You know where I struggle. You have sympathy with me. And thank you that because you overcame sin, you now say that I can come to your throne of grace with boldness. So thank you, God, I'm coming with boldness before you, Lord. I don't feel bold, but thank you for boldness, God. And thank you that you say that now with boldness I can come and I can receive grace and find help for my time of need. God, please help me in my time of need. Does that make sense? You fight with the Word of God. You fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to learn to withstand the devil, not by your clever thoughts, but by the Bible, by the Word of God. If you need to write out scriptures and stick it on your mirror to fight there, I'm thinking of the ladies now. If every time you look in the mirror and the devil says to you, you're not good enough, you're not, you're not clever enough, you're not pretty enough, then, then you can put something up on your mirror so that you can fight there and say, but I am God's. I am God's. We learn to fight. We learn to fight by the word of, this, by this word of God.